it trades on headlines these days. So I think these the the the, the whole reform of currency, the whole reform of the financial policies around the world need to either they just simply need to be reformed and that's why i think gold is going to be the safe haven you know while this goes on and uh you know it's 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 not uh the u.s simply can't continue to spend four trillion dollars a year and service 32 and a half trillion dollars of debt increasing by a trillion to three trillion a year depending on fiscal policy they simply can't service it so the U.S. dollar is going to get weak, and and gold will have its day for a long time. You know, the, we're setting up for a long gold and silver uh, run for some time to come. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Mark is here with you for Arcadia Economics, and excited today as we dig in a bit more onto the gold side. And I am fortunate to be joined by someone who has quite a long history and body of experience and knowledge in the gold markets, the gold equity markets. That's Brett Richards of Goldshore Resources. And certainly with a lot happening in the world as we round out to the end of 2022, which has been quite a volatile year in the gold market amidst everything that's been going on. So Brett, appreciate you making some time to join me here today. And talk about some of these developments. And before we get started, how is everything going with you today? Yeah, great, Chris. And uh, thanks for having me on. I look forward to, uh, to chatting today. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. And perhaps before we get directly into the markets, maybe you could let folks know a little bit about your background. And certainly you've seen your fair share of things in the gold world over these past couple decades. So maybe we could start there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I've been in the metals and mining business for about 37 years. Primarily gold, although I ventured into copper and cobalt in uh, in the Congo for a number of years when uh, we started Katanga mining. But I've uh, I've worked in the gold space. Um, I um, I've, I've worked all over the world, Southeast Asia, many parts of Africa, Russia, South America, North America. All right, and certainly I'm going to pull up our gold charts so we can get a little bit of a reminder of everything that's happened in the past year here. Uh, again, we saw the gold price over $2,000 an ounce back in March. We've seen inflation soaring. We've seen wars. We've seen Fed rate hikes and a whole bunch of activity, but perhaps you could talk about the macro environment that we've seen there. Uh, We've seen gold come down quite a bit before rallying over the past couple months. But any thoughts on what we've seen in this past year? <clears throat> yeah, Chris, you know, 2022 is going to go down as the year really kind of where the macro environment really drove the bus here. And, you know, we started out the year fairly strong in a, in a very kind of, I'll say, quasi stable uh, geopolitical and, uh, and geoeconomic uh, forum. And then, you know, things started to kind of wobble. We, we, uh, we had the, the Russia-Ukraine tensions start in February, March, uh, leading up to kind of a war, which has, uh, which has put really the EU into a, a quasi-recession, uh, not to mention the energy crisis that's before them. But we saw, we saw major currencies start to swing in March, April. We saw the euro uh, retreat. We saw the pound retreat. And then we saw the Japanese yen retreat. And we saw the US dollar strengthen during this whole time. 
I think the US dollar was strong because everything else was weak, kind of like the the cleanest shirt and the dirty clothes hamper. And 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 I think we've we've seen the macro play out all year. This was supposed to be an environment where it was all lining up for a good gold run. And it started, as you said, March. We had we saw over two thousand dollar gold. And then yes, um, inflation was uh, was was uh, hyperinflation really really hit us but the strong us dollar offset that gold run that we that we should have seen so now we're watching the macro play out uh we are seeing i would say some some tensions uh, uh relieve in in the in the geopolitical environment uh both russia ukraine and, and china and taiwan uh i think maybe we can see some solutions there but but uh, we're gonna start seeing uh, 2022 was 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 the I'll say the the prelude to what's gonna happen in 2023 and 2024, and uh, happy to share that view with you shortly. Yeah, and uh, appreciate you mentioning the dollar index because quite a move it's been hitting 20-year highs, coming down a little bit since then. Obviously, we had the rate hikes, but have you been surprised at how much we've seen the dollar strengthen throughout everything that's going on? Uh, like you pointed out, that depends on who you're comparing the dollar to, but surprised that we got a move like this this year. We are seeing kind of new fundamentals. We, we're, I think we're, we're, we're moving away from globalization to almost protectionism. And when you have the world's largest economy in the world in the U.S., um, they are going to be stronger in in difficult situations like we are in now. So yes, it was surprising, uh, <clears throat> but uh, but really, giving everything else that was going on in the world, it probably wasn't. Yeah, I understand what you're saying there. And in terms of as we head into 2023, what what are you expecting some of the drivers to be going forward as we look through the next year? <clears throat> You know, sadly, you know, our, our our political system really kind of drives agenda and really drives where some of these, uh, you know, where, where where the macro does go in in the equity markets, in the equity capital markets, and in and in the uh, in, in the bond markets. Now we're going into primaries in the U.S. We're going into a presidential election, and my view is quite simple. You know, even though we have a recession looming, and we probably are in a recession in North America and in other parts of the world. Um, I, I think what the, the U.S. is going to end up doing is going to end up printing their way, as they have in the past, out of a recession. They are going to temper interest rates. We've already seen uh, the next rise going to be 50 basis points versus the first six being 75. We're going to see a tempering of interest rates and, and possibly the, you know that could be it for interest rate hikes. We will see inflation come down, but we're going to see it come down artificially. The U.S. is going to pump money into the system because the, there's no way the Democrats can go into a, a primary war with Republicans and Donald Trump at the helm and win that election if we're in a recession. There's just simply no way. So my view is the dollar is going to weaken next year, and I think we're going to set up for a very, very strong, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to call a gold run, but I'm going to say a very, very strong gold price environment, kind of like eighteen to hundred to two thousand dollars for the, you know the next year, possibly two, as we get into an election, and and then beyond that, we'll see after the election. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because we've actually even seen some of the mainstream banks now start to talk about gold, which is not traditionally the type of thing that happens in our financial environment, but Goldman, JP Morgan, uh, Bank of America recently put out their top 10 trades of two, 2023. They were talking about gold. Do you think this could be the point where we finally get some more mainstream interest entering the market? Yeah, I, I think so. And again, the, with the with the dollar weakening um, and you know QE around the corner, we're already seeing central banks buying gold and at, at levels that that are greater than they historically have. And and I think that is going to also put pressure on on the gold price to remain strong um, because I think we're we're going to see many of the central banks um, you know continue to consume. Uh, higher levels and buy higher levels of physical than they historically have. Yeah, you're you're quite right about that. We saw record central bank gold buying another a uh, couple days ago. They released the October figures, saw additional central bank buying. What do you think is behind that? Is it just that some of these countries are finally starting to realize what a lot of the people in the gold and silver community have noticed for the past couple decades and just seeing that there might be some problems going forward here, even despite what we've seen from the Fed this year? Or what do you think is driving that change in sentiment? <clears throat> I, I think we go back to fundamentals back, you know, many, many, many years. And that is, you know, gold has always been an insurance policy to unrest. And we're seeing a significant financial system unrest, significant political unrest, and we're seeing the most volatile equity capital markets we've, we've seen in history for a number of uh, other reasons as well. So I think when we see this unrest, and I believe in our generation, we are, we are going to see a currency, uh, a, a currency reform. And I think the, the, the mainstay out of all of that will be physical gold. It will not be synthetic gold. It will not be ETFs. It will be holding physical product. I think that is going to be where um, you know where I think uh, countries, where investors are going to find comfort, and they're going to find yield. Well, we saw a bit of that earlier this year when Russia had that temporary backing to the ruble, and interesting to see just this de-dollarization trend, which has been going on for a while, but especially this year when you see Saudi Arabia talking about joining the BRICS. I mean, a lot of things that. Gee, you go back 10 or 20 years ago and, and had suggested something like that. It would have seemed like conspiracy theory yet. We're really seeing countries and notable countries actually talk about these things openly, which makes you think that we might be headed towards some sort of reform there. I think, yeah, I think so. I, it's almost like there, there, is a, there is a moral revolution going on in certain parts of the world. There's a moral revolution going on in, in the in the U.S. translating into kind of a social and political uh, revolution. Look at what's happening. Even you know, look at our backyard in the U.S. Look at what is going on in the U.S. and and uh, all the all the polarization that goes on. That just transmits all over the world into into escapism and you know and volatility in the markets and everything is on you know trades on headlines these days. So. I think these the, the 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 whole reform of currency, the whole reform of the financial policies around the world need to 
they just simply need to be reformed. And that's why I think gold is going to be the safe haven, you know, while this goes on. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not, uh, the U.S. simply can't continue to spend $4 trillion a year and service $32.5 trillion of debt, increasing by a trillion to $3 trillion a year, depending on fiscal policy. They simply can't service it. So the U.S. dollar is going to get weak and, and gold will have its day for a long time. You know, the, we're setting up for a long gold and silver uh, run for some time to come. Well, those are the issues that the White House and some of our other politicians don't often seem to talk much about. And, you know, we've seen that sell off in the bond market to some degree, although perhaps not a mass exodus, even though we see a lot of the traditional buyers, China and Japan, pulling away from the Treasury markets. Now the Federal Reserve doing their quantitative tightening. Do you see that eventually shifting where people stop looking at the Treasury as the safe haven? And go to gold. I mean, is there some sort of break point that we eventually hit there that specifically comes from the treasury market, which I mean, gee, you're still getting a negative real return on your treasuries yet hasn't phased Wall Street so much. Do you think we eventually get that break coming from the treasuries? We could, um, you know, because again, you know, negative real rates of turn aren't, aren't sustainable over the long run either. And, you know, what is going to be, what is going to create that inversion to kind of normal, I'll say, investment yields, normal investment products, you know, yielding, uh, you know, on a, on a more normalized platform. Uh, you know, I, I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know when that reform is going to occur, but it has to. It, it's like we can, we, we're standing in the middle of a train station and there's five tracks are all around us. And, and all trains are coming towards us and there's going to be a big train wreck. There really is. And, and the speed at which the trains are coming at us are the fiscal policies are, are of the major five countries in the world. And, and that's just the reality. Some, some, some need to slow down and stop and, and, uh, and they can't. So I, I think we're headed for a period of time when, when this volatility and, and this, um, these types of crises in financial systems are going to continue. Do you remember the, the PIGS? The Portugal, Italy, Greece, and uh, syndrome, and and Spain, uh, we're headed for more of that. We're headed for more country uh, disruption and and bankruptcy. These countries can't continue to uh, to 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 um, spend more money than they actually bring in, and U.S. is one of them. Well, it certainly is true, and it seems like we've been watching it in slow motion for a while. Although, perhaps getting to the point where some of these things are speeding up and Again, uh, I joined the gold and silver world back in 2009, so a little bit newer than uh, you, who has a couple of decades of experience seeing this. Is it different? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of key differences, but I know people were concerned about this back in 1980. We saw the spike in prices back then, but how would you compare the current environment? Obviously, the the amounts of debt and the amounts of printed money are much bigger, but in terms of how people were viewing this and how concerned they were, what, what could you say there? Well, let, let's go back seven years. Um, a, a product came out into the market called Bitcoin. Everybody you know, ran for this new currency, <clears throat> this new way of buying things. And here we are kind of seven years later, 
with the crypto market in complete collapse. And, and, and you know, when, when I, when I look at, you know, asset classes like that, and, and, and there, there aren't very many other stories like that, although we could call the real estate collapse of 2008, something very similar. And when you joined the gold market in 2009, happy days, you know, 2010, 2011, in September 10th of 2011, the gold price ran up to 1920. We had never seen it. At the beginning of 2000, gold was $250. And we saw quite a run up into, into, the, uh, into the early 2000s and then beyond. So we've had quite a nice run of gold for the last 25 years. Uh, if you bought gold in the year 2000, you're holding it today, you're, you're almost a 10-bagger. And that's, uh, that's probably a, a decent, stable return against three recessions and against th three major index collapses and a real estate crisis. That's not a bad return at the end of the day. So I, 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 am go I, I do hold a lot of gold. I have hold more gold than the average person because I, I believe in the fundamentals. Uh, I keep about one third of my portfolio in gold and gold equities. And I think gold equities are now kind of what people are gonna start to look towards because they give the investor leverage they give them premium to the gold price because of the growth and, and in a rising gold environment, you know, that, that growth is compounded. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned, going back to 2000, interesting that I don't think most people often think of it yet. Gold and, and silver have outperformed the stock markets, uh, which is uh, just an interesting data point. And you touched on the gold equities in there, obviously been a bit of a tough summer for the gold equities. Seemed like that was one of the first things people were selling. We've seen a rebound in the equities over the past month or two during the rally, but obviously with a higher gold price, we would expect to see uh, good times in the equities, but you're the expert in that. Anything you could share or words of wisdom <laughs> to people who are wondering, is there more pain ahead or just how to approach uh, looking at some of these, these gold stocks. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it has been a difficult, very difficult nine months. Uh, everybody has been affected in our space, gold, silver, PGMs, precious metals, all mining. And people get out of these types of investments when there's a flight to liquidity, the, the, the geopolitical and the macro environment drove everybody into a risk off situation to the point where, there's just simply no liquidity in the market. You know, gold equities are off 50, 60, 70% in some cases. The majors are off 50%. I look at Barrick at 1570 today. It was $50, not 10 years ago. So there are some, a tremendous amount of buys in the market today. And, uh, and yes, we, we have all been hammered. And I don't think we're going to turn the corner and boom, we're, gonna, we're, we're all going to do uh, uh, have a great performance in the next month or two. I think this is not a battleship turning or, or an aircraft carrier turning. It's a little faster than that. But I think we're going to be sitting here this time next year and watching the, the macro play out in the U.S., watching the, the lead up to the primaries and the presidential elections play out. And we're going to see a lot of easement, uh, quantitative easing in the U.S., which is going to, you know, I'll say quell the economy uh, and, and keep it at bay and keep the Democrats a shot at winning. And I think we're going to be sitting here with a $1,950 to $2,050 gold price and gold equities will have rebounded two or three times what the gold price will do. Gold equities go down a lot faster and a lot harder 
and they come back a lot harder and a lot faster. And the gold equity sector, second half of next year, I'm calling that it's going to be going to be a, a, a fairly decent and strong run because of what is going to be ahead in in years. And that's just on that's, just, that's not I'm not talking about cash flows. I'm not talking about ounces. I'm not talking about reserves. I'm just talking about general the general market sentiment is going to move into gold equities because people will find leverage. Yeah, and even at the uh, around $1,800 gold price, we went slightly below $1,700, but still a fair amount of margin for a lot of the gold companies. And again, I guess uh, when you have sell-offs in the market, some of these things can be extreme, yet imagining a, an even higher gold price would certainly be good news and would will be fun to see what it looks like in the gold equities markets when that actually arrives. Although one of the things that I heard you mention in one of your other interviews you did recently was that one of the issues some of the gold majors are facing is that they're seeing their reserves depleted. And traditionally, they had looked to the juniors to replace some of those projects, yet there's been a bit of a gap there. And obviously, that's something you're pretty closely tied to. And anything you could share about that? Yeah, I, I think it's probably one of the single biggest threats to our industry. And there's lots of threats to our industry. But the single biggest threat is that we can't grow organically enough um, to, to, re to replace the, the metals we take out of the ground. So the replacement of reserves for the majors is critical. Um, you know, if they're producing four, five, six million ounces a year, they need to be bringing 10, 12 million ounces of resources into their portfolio. And they need to be upgrading those resources into kind of four, five, six million ounces of reserves at a complete minimum. I would say a factor of two is probably a better, uh, a better equation. But they're, they're, they're unable to do that. The, the lack of good quality projects out there, and a lot of these projects have been running for years and years. And, and some of them coming to the end of their life. But I think we're finding that you know, the, the replacement of reserves continues to get tough. There is 200,000 tons of gold uh, in this world and 55,000 tons of kind of total resources on the books of, uh, of gold mining companies. But the demand curve still exceeds the physical supply curve. And that's why gold, the yield in gold is going to be kind of strong going forward. So, you know, the, the, when you have these big crises in the equity capital markets, it really affects the small guys. It affects the junior miners because their access to capital dries up. Their access to developing projects on, on a speed and a timeline that, that makes it commercially acceptable uh, to an investor just, just erodes. And this is the pipeline that the mid-tiers and the majors rely on for prospecting. They, 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 uh, the junior mining group is, is, does this. They, they procure projects. They bring projects up through the development curve. They de-risk them. They bring them into feasibility study. And, and then, you know, they look to, uh, they look to the, the bigger guys to put out the big CapEx to put them into production. And there's a big gap in that area as well. So I think the biggest threat to our business is the replacement of reserves and good projects coming in the pipeline. And there's a premium to be paid for that. And there's also a premium uh, that is going to kind of end up on the ticket of gold and silver prices as a result of not being able to, uh, to replace those reserves. Yeah, and interesting how you mentioned there where obviously not 
the perfect situation yet as that gap continues another thing that would put pressure on the gold price um as well as something else that you mentioned that we've talked a bit about on the show with these going green plans and decarbonization which ironically <laughs> to get anywhere near the amount of metal that we would need to ever do this is going to require substantially more mining um for some of the metals it seems to me to meet some of these goals that the politicians are talking about might be downright impossible but um based on what you're looking at and uh gold or some of the other uh metals as well is, is it going to be possible to meet some of these targets even if you do ramp <clears throat> up what we're doing yeah you know what uh, uh chris this is this is a this is going to be a, a real challenge for the next 40 50 years the, you know, there's there's a number of types of batteries and there will be new technologies come out, you know, with, with time. Um, you know, cobalt and nickel and lithium and manganese and, and, and these types of metals are in hot demand right now. Um, lithium probably had the best metal run of any of, of any element this year in the marketplace. It's hot. It's on fire. And if you got a lithium project, you're getting 100 times money. It's it just, they're just on fire. Is it sustainable? I'm not sure. I think a lot of these, these um, these types of uh, I'll say battery and charging systems that require these expensive metals and cobalt is not not cheap. It's forty dollars a pound and and a lot of cobalt in, in these batteries. I think it gets to the point where decarbonization becomes less important. Climate change, although important, um, it, we just simply can't afford to do it. And green energy is 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 just simply. Um, it's just simply not around the corner when it comes to alternative energy sources, but we and we still have major countries that don't participate in it, like China and India, where kind of sixty to eighty percent of the world's you know um, uh, hydrocarbons come from. So you, you've got a situation where we have a desire to do it, but the cost of doing it will be will, will be tremendous. You'll see automobile prices go up by thirty, forty, and fifty percent in in order to do it. And we haven't even talked about the infrastructure required to support all of this is going to require more copper than we have mined in the last 150 years in the next 30 years. And, and we simply don't have those projects in the pipeline. As you know, you know, you just don't go out and find these projects and put them into production. There is a process you go through of, of, of prospecting, of proving up a resource. Uh, it takes time. It takes at least 10 years from greenfield to actually putting a shovel on the ground to commence a project, 10 years. And, and we wanna decarbonize by 2030, 2040 and 2050. In some, in some cases, it's gonna be extremely, extremely difficult to meet those goals. I think what we, what we hear are politicians' desires and some of those desires right. you know, cater to certain demographics of their group and, and they do it and they say it because you know, they, they, they want to be known as that and they, they want votes. The reality is it's almost impossible to happen, as you said earlier. And then, of course, they don't always make it that much easier to get permits for any of these these projects that would be required to do that. So, again, perhaps just how things in the political world go. Although, Brett, in the middle of all of this, which I think is probably the culmination of some of these factors we've just talked about, you are running Goldshore Resources. And perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about the project and what you're doing there. Obviously, you recently announced a mineral resource estimate and 
perhaps you could catch people up to speed on the project. Yeah, we, we have a we have a great project in Ontario, Canada, Chris. Um, it is the Moss Lake project that we acquired from West Ome. And uh, we've been developing it for about 18, 19 months now. We've, uh, we're about 75,000 meters through our program. And, um, and we put out a mineral resource estimate in November, uh, whereby we have 4.17 million ounces of, of gold at 1.1 grams. But the real story with our project is uh, the high-grade material. We have 2.2 million ounces at 2 grams and another 850 thousand ounces at you know 0.8 grams that's a historical resource but the high grade shear domain contained within moss lake is the real story because it's going to bring you know economics uh forward in the mine plan when this gets into production so instead of mining one gram material at the beginning of the mine you're going to be mining two gram material and then down to one nine one eight one seven etc so i think the economics of this project are, are the best in our group the best in Ontario and Canada. And our job is to prove this up to be bigger. Um, you know, I think we can probably get this to, you know, 10 million ounces with more drilling. And, uh, but proving up a small CapEx project where we can, we can put something in the market that's manageable, two or $300 million CapEx that delivers 120,000 ounces a year and 100 million of cash flow. And that would start the generation of self-funding ourselves to, to make this even bigger. And when I talked earlier about the pipeline of projects, and you know, the, the, the capital required just to do what we're doing, it's 20 to $25 million a year for four years. So it really takes an emphasis of about $100 million to get these projects to a point where, you know, you make major decisions on them, you make major capital decisions. We're trying to go the small capital route um, and, and keep the, the, keep the powder dry on the, on the large capital project for, you know, maybe when gold's over $2,000, but our project will work at $1,200, not, not, uh, it doesn't need $2,000 gold. And that's why we're, that's why we're focusing on the high grade material. Yeah. And certainly it does help to have that margin. And I like what you said there about how you get it into production, which then makes it a little bit easier to expand without having such a big, uh, capital expenditure. Can you talk a little bit more about the drilling plans going forward, though, and anything else on the timeline that people would be well served to be staying in tune with? Yeah, so 2023 is going to be an exciting year for us. We 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 only put out 50% of the data in this most recent MRE, Mineral Resource Estimate. <laughs> we're going to be updating that Mineral Resource Estimate at the end of March, and then we're going to be doing a PEA, a Preliminary Economic Analysis, on that resource, on the high-grade material and trying to put a project around that that's meaningful, uh, but but sensible, not a, not a billion, billion and a half dollar project, something sensible around $300 million. Because, you know, when you look at these types of projects, you have to also look at infrastructure. And we have inexpensive power on our site. We have major hydro, uh, um, uh, hydro transmission lines on our site. We have international rail on our site. We're 100 kilometers from an international port and 100 kilometers from a major city being Thunder Bay. So we have access to everything to build a big mining camp there. And I think we have the mineral endowment that is going to you know, build a generational size mine there. And this is what the majors will look for. This is what the big guys will look for down the road is something that can be mined for 30, 40, 50 years, like the Timmins camp, like the Abitibi camp and like the Red Lake camp. And everything kind of starts branching out from there and it starts to become a big district size scale camp. 
it never became uh, a camp back in the 80s, 90s, and 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 uh, and into the 2000s because the gold price just simply didn't support these low grade projects. But we found a little niche with our high grade, low grade project, and I think we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna advance it uh, quite significantly this year. So three big catalysts. We got the mineral resource coming out Q1. We got the PEA at the end of Q2, and then a final year end mineral resource update on all the work that we've done to date at the end of the year. All right. Well, certainly a lot to be looking forward to. And also one other thing that in my ventures into the mining industry, obviously a big part of it is the team. And it's been nice to see some friendly, familiar faces that come highly well-regarded. My friend Galen McNamara there, as well as Sean Kunkun. <laughs> and it seems like you have a great team in place to lead things forward. And just uh, if there's anything you'd like to comment on some of the other folks that you have involved. Yeah, no, I, 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 we, we put this team together. It's a, it's an overpowered, high-powered group of people. And there's more on the on, on the other side. It's Doug Ramshaw was a director of Great Bear, and he's the president of uh, Monero Alamos. Um, Sean, as you say, you know, he's he's built a great company in Dolly Varden. Victor Cantor, Amex Exploration, you know, mining company of the year at uh, Mines and Money in London last week. Um, and, you know, Joanna Pearson, uh, she's the CFO at Endeavor, a West African uh, com company I'm very familiar with. And Brandon, um, Brandon McDonald, he's a director of, uh, uh, of, uh, of Goldshore, and he's the CEO of Fireweed, Fireweed uh, Zinc, now called Fireweed uh, Metals. And uh, again, just some tremendous explorers here, some tremendous business people. And, uh, you know, the team is, is quite strong. And we did this intentionally. We're not trying to we're not trying to you know, to build a team for the company today. We're trying to build a team for the company we're going to be, and that's the most important thing when you start to put boards together. Well, certainly seems like you're on a good track there, and obviously, I think your experience and knowledge speaks for itself. So, Brett, perhaps just in wrapping up, can you let folks know if they have questions, would like to get more information, what is the best way to do so, and to get in touch? Yeah, the, the best way to get in touch with us, Chris, is go go right to our website, goldshoreresources.com. You can sign up for our uh, for our news releases. You can get in touch with me directly. My contact details are on the website, and I, I respond to everybody. If anybody wants to take a meeting, anybody wants to call, they contact us. That goes directly to me, and I'm happy to, to answer their questions. So anyway, I, I really do appreciate being on today, Chris, and, and I hope we can have this discussion uh, later on next year and and see if some of the things we've talked about uh, have come to fruition. Yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting year next year in the metal space. Um, perhaps not the easiest year in some regards in life, but uh, nice to see that you, you're positioned well. You have a good project going forward and a good team on board. So appreciate you making some time to join me and talk about everything that's happening in gold and interesting times out there. but. We'll look forward to doing this again soon. Great, Chris. Thank, thanks for your time. Take care, everyone.